Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good afternoon, and good morning, wherever you're at in the world. I am Jason, your co-host with God and Jesus Christ at my side, because they are the host. They are the ones with the most. They're in the captain's chair, and they are at the wheel, and they are steering this ship through these crazy waters that we call life. So welcome. Glad to have you all here. Welcome to His Hard Line for episode 400 and. Boy, I want to say, I think I got this one wrong. I think it should be 451, not 450. I'll have to check that. I think I got that one wrong. But anyways, nonetheless, I'm pretty sure it's 451. But we're going to be doing a reading out of uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 2 and commentary. So welcome. Glad to have you all here today. Hope everybody's having a good weekend so far. Um, and uh, yeah, hope hope your weekend is actually going nice and safe. Uh, so uh, today, let's see here, we're going to be reading out of, what do I want to read out of today? Today we're going to be reading out of the New American Bible Revised Edition, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. So uh, like I said, Second Peter chapter 2, and it's only got, oh, what do we got here? 22 verses. Got 22 verses, and then we're going to cut it out, and then uh, we'll move on to the next show. And that one is going to be more kind of health related. We're going to have something, we're going to kind of step away from assembly related stuff. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about health-related items, uh, something that's pretty important, actually. Uh, a lot of people overlook a certain food out there and the importance of it. So, But anyway, so let's get right into it, shall we? So chapter 2, starting with, uh, for, uh, let's see here, verse 1, talking about false teachers. 
Now there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will in introduce destructive heresies and even deny the master who ransomed them, bringing swift destruction on them. Many will follow their licentious ways, and because of them the way of truth will be reviled. In their greed they will exploit you with fabrications, but from of old their condemnations has not been idle, and their destruction does not sleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but condemned them to chains of Tartarus and handed them over to be kept for judgment, and if he did not spare the ancient world, even though he preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, together with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the godless world, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction, reducing them to ashes, making them an example for the godless people of what is coming. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, oppressed by licentiousness, by licentious conduct of an unprincipled people, for day after day that righteous man living among them was tormented in his righteous soul at the lawless deeds that they, he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the devout from trial and to keep an unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who follow the flesh when it's depraved desire to show contempt for lordship. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to revile glorious beings, whereas angels, despite their superior strength and power, do not bring a reviling judgment against them from the Lord. But these people, like irrational animals born by nature for capture and destruction, revile things that they do not understand. And in their destruction, they will also be destroyed, suffering wrong as payment for wrongdoing, thinking daytime revelry a delight. They are stains and defilements as they revel in their deceits while carousing with you. Their eyes are full of adultery and insatiably insatiable for sin. They seduce unstable people, and their hearts are trained in greed. Excuse me while I take a little drink of water and clear my throat. All right. Sorry about that, folks. I just didn't want to do that in your ear. All right. Continuing. Accursed children. Abandoning the straight road, they have gone astray, following the road of Balaam, the son of Basor, who loved payment for wrongdoing. But he received a rebuke for his own crime. A mute beast spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are waterless springs and mist driven by a gale. For them the gloom of darkness has been reserved. For talking empty, bombast, they seduce with licentious desires of the flesh those who have barely escaped from people who live in error. They promise them freedom, though they themselves are slaves of corruption. For a people is a slave of whatever overcomes him. For if they, having escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, again become entangled and overcome by them, their last condition is worse than their first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it 
to turn back from the holy commandment handed down to them. What is expressed in the true proverb has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and a bat and a bathe sow returns to wallowing in the mire. And that is the reading of Second Peter chapter two, verses one through twenty-two. Excuse me while I try to figure out something here on my mic here. I've been trying to mess with a few things here. Excuse me. Let's see here. I think we got something going on here. I've been trying to figure a few things out here. So like I said, still check one, two. Still trying to figure out a few things. So forgive me here. Um, We'll get it figured out. Like I said, I'm trying to, I was hearing some background noise. I'm like, you know, some just, there's a lot of settings on the microphone and on the uh, mixing board that uh, I'm still trying to play around with to get the perfect sound. So forgive me on that. All right. So, so for the record, I am actually feeling much better, but my throat still feels dry and parched yet. And a lot of it I'm sure has to do with the fact that I live in a very dry climate here in Michigan. Very, very dry. Um, but a lot of my, my wife's home remedies have been helping. Thank God. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's interesting. I almost wonder because I was wondering, my wife and I, we were kind of like baffled. We're like thinking, you know, out of all the stuff I've been taking, the onion water and the garlic and the honey and the, and the ginger lemon and, and, and honey, uh, tea mix and everything like that. Like nothing was like feeling like it was getting me better. And we were just kind of confused, but, and then all of a sudden last night, last night I started thinking to myself, I said, you know, I said, I feel this weird kind of like uncomfortable pressure in my ear canal. I said, I wonder if there's some sort of blockage there. So anyway, we ended up taking, um, what was it? Hydrogen, uh, was it hydrogen peroxide and alcohol? I think it's an alcohol mix of some sort, something like that. Anyway, we put a little bit of colloidal silver in there. And so my wife, uh, you know, while I was laying down with my head to one side, dropped a bunch in there to pretty much fill up my ear canal. And anyways, did both ears and clean them out. And I tell you what, I felt so much better after that. Whatever was there definitely was unclogging it. So yeah, the pressure has completely gotten better. So yeah, praise Jesus on that. And thank God for a wife who continuously, you know, studies up on this stuff. But yeah, wow, wow, wow. But, uh, but anyways, but yeah, like I said, I'll, uh, we're going to get through this one, one way or another. Um, like I said, I am feeling much better, but I still got this little bit of like this weirdness in my throat, but everything's been trending the up, you know, in the other direction. So that's really good. So, but anyway, now, um, I know somebody here in the chat was saying nebulize, you know, I would, if we had a nebulizer, cause I heard that really helps out a lot. We probably should get a nebulizer. I never thought about that till now. That probably would help significantly, actually, now that you say that. Um, I have to go check it out at like CVS or Walgreens. Um, so <clears throat> so in Peter two in Second Peter chapter two, Peter describes and harshly condemns the false teachers who had entered the church. And he promises their destruction, which will be brought by God. Now, Peter also shows the impact of their lies on those who might believe them. Now, who are these false teachers? They were not strangers who just showed up spouting, you know, false doctrine in a, in a full frontal attack against the community of Christians, but rather instead they came from within the church. 
They were sneaky. They, you know, secretly and covertly introduced their destructive heresies or lies about the truth. See, much kind of like how they take over, you know, our government, the people that are part of the bar. They do it by stealth. And so this passage highlights a few of the more serious sins involved, but not all the possible details. Now, Peter doesn't fully reveal all the contents of their false teachings. Now, this is deliberate so that the point is not lost. So any false teaching is a problem and not only some specific doctrinal error, but by leaving this description general, Peter ensures that his meaning is applied in all such situations. Now, Peter does highlight three main aspects of these deceptions. The first one of them being that these false teachers deny the sovereignty of Christ. They taught that he was not Lord, even though he bought them with his own blood. The second thing is that they openly indulged in sexual sin and taught others to do so, you know, do the same. And then finally, they used lies to exploit the Christians for their own gain. They were greedy. Now, as both encouragement and a warning, Peter assures his readers that God is very well aware of the practices of these false teachers and that their destruction is soon looming, hanging over them more now than ever. And I know we see this with a lot of these televangelists and these, you know, prosperity preachers that we see on TV. It's frustrating. And I can assure you that this is definitely something that God is not ignorant of. And I'll also assure you that this is something that God is not powerless against. So Peter, in this case, he lists historical examples to demonstrate that God is ready and he is willing to bring destruction on those who reject him. And he did not spare even the angels who sinned, and he did not spare the entire ancient world that lived in the time of Noah, though only Noah and his family were saved. And God burned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes for, the wicked, for their wickedness. But remember, he did save Lot. Now, Peter's point is that God knows how to both rescue his people and punish the unrighteous at exactly the right time. The final and ultimate reckoning will also occur on that day of judgment. Now, another sin of these false teachers is that in their arrogance and ignorance, they insult or heap abuse on celestial beings without fear for the destruction that is coming on them. They practice their sexual sin right out in the open with eyes full of adultery. And it's very interesting. It's almost like what we're kind of seeing any more these days today on TV and social media. I mean, these, these people, and it's not just pastors and preachers. I mean, it's, it's anybody and everybody. You know, it seems like any more these days that we are just seeing Satan and in, in, in it's, you know, in his agenda, just being blatant right out there in the open for all to see, you know, it's almost sickening. You see it in commercials. You know, um, just I, I don't even want to go through examples, but there's tons of examples like a point to. But they've had so much practice with greed that they have become experts in it. 
And Peter calls them cursed children, echoing a Hebrew phrase which was meant for those who were damned by God. And he compares their path to that of the Old Testament prophet Balaam, who was headed blindly toward an attacking angel until his donkey revealed what Balaam could not see. Now, finally, Peter details the impact these teachers have on those who believe them. They are like rain clouds that never bring rain, right? Their boastful words are empty, they're shallow, and they're blatantly, you know, they blatantly appeal to lustful desires. And even so, some people buy their deception. Those most vulnerable are, are the ones just coming out in the world and into the church, and they lack the experience, they lack the knowledge to know any better. I mean, basically, in other words, they don't have any street smarts to know when they're being swindled and lied to. And although the false teachers themselves are slaves to their own sinful desires, their victims are attracted by a false promise of freedom. They feel released to indulge in sin, assuming it will, you know, it will happen without consequence, you know, because in the end, you know, these, these, these people, they are entangled by that sin and they're dragged back into their old place in the world. And once these deceived ones turn their backs on the sacred command to believe in Jesus for their salvation, they end up worse than if they had never heard about the gospel in the first place. Think about that for a second. Yeah. You know, so, you know, the thing is with these false teachers, false teachers have insinuated themselves into the Christian church since its, you know, inception. One that comes to mind, and I'll put it blatantly out there. I mean, sure, I don't have any receipts, but you know what? Anybody who's got eyes to see and ears to hear and has enough discernment uh, given to them by God, Joel Osteen, he's the biggest one, in my humble estimation. Now, again, I can't, I'm not going to sit here and say I have receipts to show you the validation, but, you know, there has been definitely some public news pieces that have come out about what, several hundred thousand dollars or whatever that was hidden in the walls inside of his church down there in Texas? Well, I mean, what's that about? You know, they're, they are dangerously deceptive operators with smooth speech and seductive ways and beautiful smiles, and they kind of talk like this with a nice accent, and they talk real smooth and soft. To get you to trust them. You know, new believers are particularly susceptible to their methods. And even the passionately, you know, protective shepherd, the Apostle Peter, de you know, dedicates an entire chapter, like I said, to what we just read here, to exposing these religious pretenders. You know, see, Peter wanted to, his flock to understand how false teachers operate. Learn to spot them. Avoid falling victim to their heresies. See, his metaphor is likening them to wells without water. And like I said, clouds carried by a tempest. And they're similar to a portion of Jude's description of false teachers. See, the word Peter uses the word well 
he actually means a flowing spring when he talks about the word well. See, when we think of a well, some a lot of people think of something different. But see, in the original Greek, it meant flowing spring. Now, when Jesus ministers to the Samaritan woman, he uses the same term to describe the soul-satisfying, you know, the soul-satisfying living water that he can supply only. A thirsty first-century traveler would immediately understand the disappointment of coming upon a well that promises water but does not deliver. Right? Instead of flesh, thirst-quenching, life-giving fountains, wells without water are hollow and useless, producing nothing but dust, mud, and unquenchable thirst. It yields no fruit. And so, like a dried-up spring, false teachers promise much but have zero to offer. They don't teach the gospel truth that Jesus calls a spring of water welling up to eternal life. They just preach freedom but supply bondage. They guarantee pleasure but furnish anguish. And, you know, they promise life but deliver death. That's what these false teachers do. And so, I mean, I'm not going to go on a rant here about, you know, my own, you know, priest and and the church that I went to, but because I think he's a nice guy and I think he does, he does a very good job. He's definitely not one of those prosperity, you know, preachers that much I can say, but you know, there are some things that I just, there's some things that just don't resonate with me. Now, I don't know what that is, but one day I'm sure God will reveal it to me, but here's one thing for sure. And I even said this to him at my own dinner table. And what I said to him was, because he asked me, how come you don't come back? And how come you don't come to the church, Jason? I said, well, to be quite, quite honest with you, Father, <coughs> excuse me, did not mean to do that in the mic. I said, be quite frank with you. I said, I don't really get the feeling that I get when I read the Bible on my own terms on a daily basis. I said, I've come to Jesus and have gotten saved by just reading the word. I get filled. I feel warmth. And I just don't get that when I'm in service. I said, now it's no reflection on you. And I hope you don't take any offense to this, you know, Father Chuck. But, and, and I told him this, I was very, very candid with him at the dinner table. I said, but there are some things and some truths that I have discovered that I just, you know, I, I, I just don't, there are some things that I just don't believe in. And like, actually, it's funny, actually, Zero Michigan actually brings us up because I had brought this very thing up to him. I said, because in the Bible, it says, you shall, you know, no one shall call anybody father except the father in heaven. Because Zero Michigan just said, did you just say father? <laughs> I did. Because again, it's habit. But I brought that up to him. And he, and he tried to give me some convoluted, you know, description and, and, uh, and yeah, to answer your, your, uh, your question zero in Michigan. Uh, yeah, it is a Catholic church, which is one of the reasons why I kind of started shying away from it. Because once I started realizing a lot of the truths behind the Vatican and the Roman, you know, Curia and the, just everything designed and structured behind the Vatican and the Roman Catholic church and everything behind it, I started realizing a lot and I started shying away from it. Excuse me. And so I've brought these questions forward to him. And 
you know, he was actually quite surprised, um, or I should say I was quite surprised by his answer because, or his response. Now he did say, he goes, well, Jason, he goes, whatever you're doing, it's clearly working. And I want you to keep asking questions. I want you to keep searching the truth. And he, you know, he did say to me, he goes, I hope one day you do come back to the church so you could see exactly what we do. It's like, well, I will never turn my back on the church. It just has to be the right church. That particular church is not the right church. I can feel it in my soul. It's not. And so, but the thing is, is that when I sit behind this microphone, now I'm not claiming to sit here because I, again, I'm not a deacon. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a priest. I'm not an ordained minister or a biblical expert or have a, you know, a doctorate in theology. I'm just a man who drives a gas tanker truck. I read my Bible and I do my best to come close to Christ and to keep an intimate relationship with God and Jesus, right? That's all I do. I just do my best to do that daily. But every time I come behind this mic and I get you awesome people here, even if it's just one or two of you, to me, that is my church. And you know what? We do it every day here, except one day a week. But we're here six out of the seven days a week, and this is my church. Sure, it may not be the traditional church where you go up and you receive the sacraments and, you know, the body of Christ and, you know, and all of that. I get all that. Sure, it doesn't have the, you know, the, the you know, the drumming and the bands or the organs or whatever you're used to in your church. But you know what? We get, we get the word of God here. One way or another, we get the word of God. So. Anyways, we're going to wrap this up, and then we'll close this out, and then we'll get right into the next show here, and we're going to talk about asparagus. Yum, yum. Yum. So, let's say a prayer. Heavenly Father, the only Father, by the way, we thank you very much for this time together and for the scripture reading, and we thank you for the lessons in your good book. Sometimes the stuff goes over our head. A lot of times, though, it pierces right through our heart and in the best ways. And we thank you for that. Uh, Father, just thank you for another day of life and good health. And we appreciate all the many blessings that you bring into our lives. Yes, I know I'm still a little under the weather, but you know what? By and large, I still have good health, and I thank you for that. Thank you for our families, a roof over our head, food to fill our bellies and nourish our bodies. And thank you for the ultimate gift that you gave us, which was your son, Jesus Christ, who paid for our sins in his blood. Thank you. We pray this in your holy son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes today's episode 451. By the way, I believe this is 451. Like I said, I mistitled it here. My apologies. And, um... We will be right back on the other side. And if we don't see you on the other side, we'll see you back here tomorrow. So wherever you're at in the world, God bless. Have a good night or a good day, good evening, wherever you're at. And we'll see you on the other side or we'll see you back here tomorrow.